The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. there's no point in coming to a meeting and leaving the same way you came. Amen. We might as well get some results. Thank you, Jesus. Some people like to go to meetings where they get beat up by the preaching. Yeah, that's right, pastor. Give it to me. Beat me down. People love that stuff. The flesh is addicted to abuse, (laughs) but that's not Jesus. Jesus loves people into their, their lane and their calling and in their purpose. And that's, that's the call of God. You know, he's, he's tender. He has mercies that are new every morning. And you begin to recognize that. And so God loves us so much. If we knew how much God loved us, if people in the world knew how much God loved them, churches would be packed out all over the world. They'd be packed out. But religion has run people off. It's true. Now, we're going to get into some things about the prophetic. Last night, we really went down the road on some things. And, and Tasha, any of you here, were you here last night? Anybody that was here last night? Okay, cool. Great. Didn't scare you, you off last night. That's good. We got into some pretty wild stuff last night. So God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm Joseph Z, and those of you who are here joining us for the first time, I'm Joseph Z. I'm very privileged to be here. We love uh, Pastor Tafar and Pastor Chipo. We are big, uh, uh, faithful fans, I should say, of what God's uh, doing in this church and in this apostolic move that God is doing through uh, what I'd like to call Apostle Tafara. And I believe that God's going to expand this ministry and take it forward. And we're just thrilled to be at this stage with them watching this thing begin to move forward. So isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God together? It's also nice that we have air conditioning tonight. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Tafara was saying to me earlier, he's like, Joseph, you went really long last night, and it was really, really hot. He's like, you, you went long, and it was wonderful, though. And I said, thank you, sir. <laughs> so it was great. God's good, man. It's going to be a great time in Jesus. We are going to jump back into some things about the prophetic. You know, a lot of people have experienced the prophetic, and, you know, there's a lot of jokes made about it, and there's also things that are serious about it. And sometimes people somewhere between taking it too far with the prophetic or they take it too lightly with the prophetic. You have a lot of teachers that poke fun at the prophetic because they're not prophetic at all. They're teachers, you know, so they poke fun at it, and they're like, prophetic people are weird, and they're not incorrect. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that, right? And then you also realize on the other side of that that sometimes they go, the prophetic people go too far with things. And they run away. They don't care about doctrine. They get all wild with it. And the truth of the matter is we need to find somewhere in the highway of holiness, the middle of the road, find out what is right in the word of God and begin to bring it forward. Thank you, Jesus. Because what this church or what this world needs, I should say, is literally an encounter. Both the church and the world need to have an encounter with mature believers. Need to have an encounter with mature believers. And some of the reason you see so many weird things happening in the prophetic is very strictly because of bad teaching, really bad teaching. 
I'm okay with experiences. I'm okay with people having wild encounters. We talked about all these last night, and these are still on the board. Praise the Lord. I don't have to write them out again. But you recognize that some of these encounters people have, uh, they get relegated to being weird or just strange, and the church doesn't know what to do with it. And the reason many times prophetic people are some of the weirdest in the church is because the church has not allowed prophets to stand up and train prophetic people. Don't shout me down. Come on. And the ones that do train prophetic people, many times they make it so much about themselves and not about Jesus that it's a, it's a what's the right word? It's a misappropriation of the office gift. And so gifting doesn't have anything to do with office. All right? Are we clear about that? We've been talking about it, and I'm trying to drive this home. Statistically, people need to hear something 12 times before they actually go, oh, Find the man behind the curtain, as they would say in Wizard of Oz. Okay. So we realize something about this, though, is that there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that have not done a good job uh, developing and growing up mature, healthy, prophetic voices. Now, as we said before, there's a difference between the office and the gifting. The gifting can experience all these different things. And we're going to talk about a number of things tonight. And I'm also going to talk about how persecution comes to the prophetic. And then I'm going to discuss about some things that are healthy and how we can move forward. But I want to talk to you tonight about prophetic maturity. Prophetic maturity. Last night we talked about some wild happenings. We talked about visions, dreams, trances, deja vu, strange encounters, and what I call traffic. Um, And by way of quick recap, we talked about visions, talking about intuitive visions, that uh, pictures will pop up in your mind, and then you begin to interpret that, what that means. You can have day visions, night visions. We went through this. I talked about dreams, and I I taught on the, the importance of having a dream journal so you can understand your dream language. That's very important. You'll dream in symbols, and sometimes you're not you in the dream. Even though you're dreaming about yourself in the dream, it could be about someone else. And um, there's a man of God that I dreamt about probably a month ago or maybe two months ago now if I'm really thinking clearly about it, and that was Will Graham. I've never met Will Graham, but I know I'm going to. I have a word for that man. And, I, and Pastor Tafara told me, he said, yes, he's done this. He brought Andrew and all. I was like, okay. And so when I see him, I have a word from God for him. And the Lord began to speak to me. I, I sat up in bed uh, about two months ago, and I looked at Heather, and I said, Will Graham. Who is Will Graham? And Heather looked at me. She said, I don't know. And I said, well, neither do I. And I said, but I have a word of God for this man. So I don't, I don't know him, but I know when I meet him, God's spoken to me that something significant's coming, and he's going to have a fresh breakthrough at what he began to do. He's going to begin to do again, except on a new elevated level with a retrofit to his calling and to his mandate. God is taking Will Graham and retrofitting his initial apostolic evangelistic anointing, and he's retrofitting him to double up on what God's called him to do. He's not done being a way maker to new and fresh areas for the gospel of grace. So anyway, that's something. That's just a little a preview. Praise God. So we realize this. We recognize this is that God is truly talking through all these things. Dreams, and I had a dream, and that's why I brought that out. 
um, I, I began to see a number of people. I've met a lot of people that I've seen in dreams, a lot of people, very significant people, people that if I said their names, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And uh, I've met some people. The Lord showed me the time frame that I would meet them, and then it came to pass. And now different people dream differently. Trances is kind of an involuntary exposure to the realm of the spirit uh, that you step into. And I think this is very uncommon. Very uncommon. People that think they've had a trance, if you think you've had a trance, you didn't have one. You know. All of a sudden, you're just like, Jesus, where am I? I mean, it's a whole other ballgame. You're just in another place, right? Then deja vu, we talked about this. And remember yesterday, I'm just going to give this snapshot to you. Deja vu, we talked about how, in my estimation, 90% of deja vu experiences are purely natural. They're not supernatural at all. It's because your mind is trying to keep up with information and data, and every now and then there are gaps in our mind and our way of thinking, data gaps, and our mind tries to fill in those gaps with information, and what it does is it induces kind of a euphoric sense that tries to fill in data when you're having a, a brain gap, you know, like thoughts, and you learn this stuff when you study some of these things, and all of a sudden, you begin to play out a circumstance that you're watching, and there's a euphoric sense to it that feels like it's happened before. Before. Have you seen it before? And truly, it's just your mind on drugs, okay? And uh, meaning natural drugs in your, in your own system. And so the deja vu, though, that is Holy Ghost, where you start to realize something is happening, is when you begin to have that encounter that you've either written down, you've seen it before, or a dream comes to pass, and it's not nebulous. You actually can see something, and you know what's about to happen next, and you can predict it as it's unfolding. That's real supernatural deja vu, Okay. And we got into a little bit of multidimensionalism, and I'm not going to go too, too deep into that. Um, if I do, everybody will just be staring at me. How many of you know there's 10 dimensions, okay? Quantum phys physics has proven this. 10 dimensions, four of them are knowable, six of them are unknowable to the human mind, except the only way we can measure them or quantify that they exist is through math. And so there's these six dimensions we don't know about. And sometimes when you're having deja vu, you're tapping into a different dimensional experience with the supernatural. But here's the deal. No matter what you hear or what kind of things you figure out with all this process, stick with the word of God, period. Because there's so much weird you can get into with this. And people that run down these roads and lead with these things, especially in the prophetic, they're headed for trouble. They really are. And uh, we got into strange happenings, seeing entities, everything from that to people experiencing aliens and everything else yesterday. But we brought it back to the Word of God and began to demystify some of these encounters. And if you really want to know more about that, listen to yesterday's teaching. It was really uh, more in-depth than what I just did here. This was review. So let's take a look at this here some more uh, this evening. I want to jump into this and talk to you about this statement. Now, here's something we need to understand about the prophetic. Because the Lord showed me this 10 years, God told me I'm not the best prophet on the planet. What a thing to hear from God. I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad you placed me in this gift then. And he said, no, you're like Obi-Wan Kenobi. I said, what? He said, you're going to raise up people with better gifts than you have. And he said, Joseph, I could finally trust you after 20 years. 20 years of walking this stuff out, I can finally trust you that it's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's not about, look what I can do. I'm amazing. Let me pull a bunny out of a hat for you. When you truly have a servant gift, you know, and I haven't arrived, but I feel like I've left in some areas, 
And when you truly have a servant gift to serve people and love people with your gifting, that is God's greatest pleasure. It's not about pointing people to you. It's not about the authority you carry, and I'm amazing. It's truly, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Amen? And all the fivefold ministries should be the greatest servants of us all that empower the body to go and win the world, right? Because ultimately, all this, all our gifts, it ultimately points at making disciples of all nations. That's what we're in this for, guys. Praise God. It doesn't say go out there and make converts. It says go make disciples of all nations. And God told me to do it. People say, Joseph, where's your prophetic anointing? To make disciples through media. That's what God's called me to do. We built a studio. We're doing this. We're making disciples through media. And so that's something we're stepping into. And God told me to move to Colorado Springs to raise up a guild of prophetic voices. And we're doing that. We're beginning to build. So this year we're going to do quarterly meetings, and we're going to begin to raise and train prophetic voices. And maybe it'll develop into a school of the prophets. We'll see how the Lord leads. But there are things that are happening with this that I'm very privileged. You know, a few years ago, I was just, uh, the Lord asked me to step down from ministry. So we did. We did. I had stadium meetings, all these things lined up. And the Lord just said, hey, if you stop, if you stop here, I will bless your family. I'll bless your ministry if you go forward because the word does not return void. He said, but if you stop here, I'm going to bless your children and your family and your marriage. And so I said, yes, sir, I'm going to do the difficult, right? And we know this. If we do the difficult, God will do the impossible, right? So that's what we're talking about. So we're going to talk about this. Let me jump more into the prophetic tonight. In the next few nights, we're going to really get into some stuff. But tonight, I want to kind of go down this road some more. I want to talk about experiences, encounters, some of these. And I want to land on the gospel so I believe it's so vital to understand this. Let me start out with a statement that goes like this. Here's a quote I like, and it goes like this. Those who dance are thought mad by those who cannot hear the music. Those who dance are thought mad by those who cannot hear the music. Now, there's a lot of prophetic people that have true gifting inside them or encounters and they don't know what to do with it because of a lack of training and teaching because many of the people that do the training and teaching are all about themselves and they literally just want to make it more about themselves and so they never really train people they never really raise them up to be an army of prophetic warriors that are supposed to do what they're supposed to do and the lord told me a number of years ago i was praying about this and in our nation god sent me to trump tower uh, Trump Tower. And so I went to Trump Tower, and God had me go there, and I took my wife with me, and we were in this tower, and we got a room there. And uh, as we're hanging out at Trump Tower, I said, Lord, why am I at Donald Trump's tower? And as I'm in the tower, uh, I say, God, is this man going to be president? Do I get to announce that this man's going to be the new president of the United States? And the Lord said, I have not graced you to know that, Joseph. And I said, well, why am I standing in Trump Tower then? This seems like something's about to happen here. And, I'm, you know, you, you can put out feelers. You know something's happening. But the Lord said, I've not anointed you to speak about that. He said, but I brought you here to get a feel for the anointing that I've placed on this man. And I want you to pray for him all the time. And I said, okay. So we're there at Trump Tower. And I said, Heather, I guess we're just going to enjoy dinner and enjoy Trump Tower. And we'll be praying for Donald. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And God begins to set people in order to go places and do things that are important. Now, I've got to say this to you. Many times we realize that untrained gifting can destroy. I'll say that again. 
untrained gifting can destroy, okay? Even if there's like a, you mean well, but if you're not trained, it can destroy or you can get people killed, right? Can you imagine somebody for the first time running in the military and never having firearm training with a, a, a weapon, and they're given a weapon, and they run into battle with a weapon they've never even held before, and they say, have fun. Can you imagine what would happen? It'd be terrible. They'd probably shoot themselves, right? You know, and you got to recognize this. Would you like to get into the boxing ring with Mike Tyson? And just be like, I've seen some boxing videos, right? How would you like that? I wouldn't like that at all. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, one of the mentors I had in the prophetic actually prophesied to Evander Holyfield. He said, you're going to beat Mike Tyson. He said, you're going to beat Mike Tyson because it's the spirit of Christianity against the spirit of Islam. And they said, oh, it's like 20 to 1 odds. You can't tell him he's going to win. He said, no, God showed me he would win. And then Holyfield won because God, Holyfield had a heart problem. His heart got healed at a Benny Hinn meeting, and then he was there, and he went in, and the prophet said to him, you're going to beat Mike Tyson, and uh, he did. He beat Mike Tyson, and so you begin to understand some of these things, though, that God begins to put these things in place, so let me say this to you uh, a better way. Just as prosperity destroys the fool, so does gifting destroy the fool. Does that make sense? You want to destroy somebody, just give an idiot a lot of money. <laughs> right? Just give somebody that has no discipline, no self-control, no ability to do things. Just give them a lot of money and watch them destroy themselves. People say, well, what are you going to do? If I had a million U.S. or 100,000 U.S. or 10,000 U.S., I'd, I'd do something. I'd do amazing things. No, you'd do exactly what you're doing right now. You would just do it bigger. If you like a lot of ice cream like we had the other day, you'd be like, I'm buying more of that. I'm getting more ice cream. Come on, you know. You'd be doing that. Praise God. Whatever your vices are or, or issues, they would just be amplified, right? How many of you know gifting can take you to the top of the mountain, but it is character that keeps you there? Gifting takes people to the top of the mountain. And there's this, this idea in the church that says, Gifting should never run ahead of character, right? Would you agree with that statement? Your gifting should never run ahead of your character, right? But did you know that it does every day with a lot of people? They just go with their gifting. Just because they can, they do. And maturity is restraint. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And when you know the difference, you're stepping into maturity, you're beginning to grow in the authority of Jesus. You're beginning to be all that you're called to be. Man, God is going to touch people tonight. So prosperity destroys the fool, so can it destroy the gifted. It can destroy people when you have a gift and you're not doing these things. Now, let me talk about this. There's been a lot of misappropriated understanding about the prophetic, okay? And I need to teach on this. And I felt strongly to teach on this while we were here quite a bit. And I talked with Pastor, and we, we just kind of conversed about it a little bit. But I believe it's important that you start to understand some things about the prophetic. There are five-fold ministry gifts. And just because somebody prophesies doesn't make them a prophet, okay? As a matter of fact, there are many people that have a prophetic gift that is more powerful than some people's gifts in the office of the prophet. 
You'll have people that have clearer dreams than a prophet will have. You'll have people that will give clearer words of knowledge than a prophet. The title prophet does not mean one who is amazing at prophecy. You have to be prophetic to be a prophet, and you need to prophesy in some capacity. But if you don't prophesy, you're, not a, you're really not prophetic, or, in, or you can't be in that office gift. But just because you prophesy doesn't make you a, prof, a prophet. And what you begin to recognize is when you're prophesying, many people can step into really high-powered gifting, but they're not called to have responsibility in the body. Does that make sense? When people don't have responsibility to edify and build a segment, an appointed segment, Paul the Apostle said, I'm, an, I'm not an apostle to this group of people, but I am to you, right? And Paul the Apostle being a, a, an appointed apostle to a certain group of people is what validated his apostleship. He, he had an assignment. The same is true with every fivefold ministry office, especially the prophet. And the prophet oftentimes is misunderstood by someone who prophesies. Just because people prophesy does not make them a prophet. Do not give people with a gift authority. Does that bless you? Some of you are like, what about my gift? I'm talking to you, praise the Lord. Okay? So you recognize this. Just because somebody has a gift, you should not give them authority. You give them authority when you recognize that the leaders of something recognize that somebody has a voice or they have an anointing for a segment of the body. And only God can raise that up. Only God can. Just because somebody moves in a gift does not make them that office gift. It means they have a gift. Amen. Praise God. Use your gift to bless and edify others. But it doesn't mean you have authority in the body until people who are in leadership come together and they recognize the call of God for the responsibility to a segment of the body. Have you ever seen people that you look at and you say, boy, they're a pastor, but they're not leading anyone? Pa you know, have you ever seen people on a job? That, You're a pastor, man. You got a pastoral gifting on your life. Yes, but they're not standing in the office of pastor until they take over and begin to actually have responsibility for people. They might have the gift, but they're not in the office. Does that make sense? Praise God. And the same is true with teacher. You can have a teaching gift and able to teach and people are wowed. But until you're responsible for a segment of the body that either starts reading your books or starts looking at things and people really are anoint being changed through the presence of God by your ministry, you're not in the office gift. You just have an ability to communicate things to, to people and praise God. And we do the 21 gift spectrum up here. There's a number of things we can do now. Let's just jump forward into some of this right now. I want to talk to you about this. One of the reasons prophets don't really manifest at a greater scale in the body of Christ is the ones that are real usually are not the ones that want to talk about it very much. The ones that want to talk about it, I'm a prophet. The ones that do that are usually the ones I try to stay away from the most. Is that okay? Some of you are like, I don't like that. Well, I didn't ask you. Praise the Lord. But you, you recognize this. <laughs> you recognize this, though, is that uh, Pastor Tafara will fix it all when I leave. And so you recognize this, is that what begins to happen is when people have legitimate revelation and they're submitted to the body, sometimes other people, just like Joseph's brothers, just like other leaders in the body, religion will attack the anointed. We talk about this. There's a lot of people that get attacked because they're stupid, okay? And then they say, oh, I'm being persecuted, brother. No, you're stupid. You did some stupid stuff, and you should be persecuted until you repent and get your life in order, amen? 
A lot of stupid out there that gets persecuted, persecuted for being stupid. You, you don't be stupid. Just listen to leadership, and you won't have to go through some of that hardship. But now listen, the other side of that is sometimes and oftentimes the reason some prophetic, specifically real anointed prophetic voices don't stand up tall is because people don't know what to do with them, and religion persecutes the prophet more than anyone or very much at a high level. I'll just say it that way. Maybe not more than anyone, just at a very high level. Is that fair? So when you understand this, let me talk about this. Now, Paul the Apostle, I'm going to use an apostle as as an example. We talked about Barnabas being a prophet. We talked about Agabus being a prophet. We talked about Judas and Silas being prophets. And I have one prophet I really want to talk about that I haven't mentioned yet. We'll either get to him tonight or we'll get to him tomorrow. I don't know yet. But there's one prophet that I really want to get into, and it's, he's the most powerful, profound prophet in the New Testament, and we haven't mentioned him yet, and it's not Jesus, okay? So we recognize some of these things. Now, let's talk about Paul's experience very quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he's talking here, and he's talking about his encounter with the Lord. He's talking about this, and this is where it references the thorn in the flesh. Everybody remember the thorn in the flesh, and people get very bent out of shape about this. And if you look into the law of first mention, there are three references to it in the Old Testament. I think it's like Numbers 33, and it's Joshua, and a few other scriptures. They reference scourges to the eyes and thorns to the flesh. And Paul, being a Pharisee of a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee, is talking about persecution from people. That's what the thorn in the flesh is. A messenger from Satan sent to buffet me. And literally when it's talking about this, uh, the, this thing that begins to happen, is the, the word uh, that's, uh, that causes difficulty is not really about, here it is here in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Look at that, plural. And by the way, the book of Revelation is not the book of Revelations. It's one revelation given to Jesus Christ, given to John, right? So we realize this, the revelations that Paul had, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Sometimes when people have pure revelation that has horsepower on it to change things, to break things through in the body of Christ, religion and other things stand up and begin to persecute it. And they don't even know why they're doing it. Have you ever just not been liked by someone? Not you, Lolito. Everybody likes you. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. But you recognize sometimes people, they just don't like you. doesn't matter how nice you smile. doesn't matter whatever. There is a spirit of jealousy that runs rampant in the church. And the most insecure people in the body of Christ are prophetic people. Boy, it got quiet in this Presbyterian church. It got really quiet in here. Dun, dun, dun. The reason is, is because people have these encounters with the Lord, and they want to so be validated in what they're encountering, and people often don't believe them, but it's so potent and important to them when they share it with others that sometimes people belittle it, and it makes them want to prove their encounter is real. It makes them want to prove that what they're saying is real or give them validation. And for whatever reason, oftentimes people that have supernatural encounters and they have a need to to share these things, oftentimes they get very insecure. And then if other people stand up with a powerful gifting or something, they literally get jealous. There's difficulty. Paul the Apostle had this, and I'm going to show it to you here. Paul the Apostle had this. Let me give you an example of what I'm saying. 
And uh, you say, well, I don't know about that. It sounds like a devil made him sick in his flesh. That goes contrary to what the Word of God teaches about healing. If you think the devil's trying to make you sick to teach you something, what is he teaching you? Or God. I mean, what is God? God's making you sick to teach you something. Why would, what's he teaching you? How to die? As a matter of fact, if being sick glorifies God, why don't we just go the whole way, go a hundredfold and glorify him with everything and just die? Some people are like, I don't, what? I don't believe that. Well, yeah, a lot of people do it. If you believe that God's making you sick, as the old saying goes, don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor and rebel against God. Man, if God's making you sick, let that thing run its course and croak, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I got the black lung. Pfft, right? Yeah, that's not what it's about. See, be, <laughs> so let's look at this, though, here. Talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul's saying, lest by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh is given to me. Now, this is because Paul literally had influence from a revelation of Jesus that began to draw masses of people to him draw masses of people to him, and it invokes jealousy in religious people and people that know they can't keep up, okay? Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Acts chapter 13 and verse 44. It says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Almost the entire city gathered together to hear a preacher. Think about that. You know, we read these things in the Bible, but if you put that in your mind, you go, my goodness, the entire city, like the whole place showed up. They showed up, and they came to hear a preacher. And it goes on in verse 45 of Acts chapter 13. It says, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they weren't looking at the preacher. They were looking at the crowd. They were looking at what Paul's revelation was doing, right? They looked at the crowd, and it says they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. In the beginning, they might not have even totally disagreed with Paul, but when they saw the influence, they saw what revelation does. Revelation creates influence. Revelation creates influence. It induces influence. And there's people, religion tries to hijack a false revelation and push it on people as if it's real. You know, it's like the old adage we've been using about motorized gas engines on a boat trying to take it across the ocean or wind in the sails. A lot of people pretend they have a wind in their sail, but it's really a motor under the boat. But when that thing runs out of gas, they're looking for somebody with real wind in their sail to keep them going. And I'm telling you, when you got the Holy Ghost and you're really in the Spirit of God, nothing can take you down, and religion will be jealous of you. It just will. If nobody's jealous of you, you're probably not doing your job. Praise God. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Pastor Tafar, but people just some people are just going to be jealous of your success. You're going to increase. Praise God. And people will be like, well, that, that's just because of this, this, and this. And critical people are little people. If it's too small, men will fight. If it's big enough, big men unite. And you realize God takes people forward with that. Now, let's, let's talk about this a little bit more here. 
we realize this. Now, something I want to say about this is the gifts and callings all grow through healthy teaching and demonstration, okay? The gifts and callings grow through healthy teaching and demonstration. They never went away in the first place, but knowledge of them was suppressed in the early uh, dark ages and all that stuff. You know, we recognize, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit, Right? And it says in verse 20, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. And a lot of teachers today despise prophecies because they don't know what to do with it or they just think prophetic people are weird. And they're right. Prophetic people can be very weird. Everybody with me so far? So here's the answer to all this stuff when we get down to it a little bit more here. Let me talk to you about this. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, this is talking about Paul and Apollos here. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. This is the guideline for all prophetic ministry or any encounter. Do not think beyond what is written. So remember yesterday we talked about entities appearing to you at night, standing in your room, and they're like, I'm here to creep you out, right? They're there to just, you know, appear to you, and they're standing in your room or something. You see a demon or whatever. We talked about how demons are just little hamsters with big mouths, right? And you recognize that, and the truth is, is that you just got to begin to recognize, no matter what you encounter, angels appearing, anything, the ultimate training people can have in the prophetic or any experience is to not think beyond what is written. If it ain't in the Word, it don't matter what you experienced. This saved my life with the encounters I had. Because ever since I was a kid, I used to hear my voice shouted over the treetops. I used to hear things and have encounters. I'll never forget Pastor Tafara. I was one time out in a field, and I grew up on a ranch, and I used to ride around on an ATV, and I had a German shepherd dog. And I'm out there, and I'll never forget, I'm in the middle of this open field, and I used to hear my name called all the time. Joe! As a boy. Joe! And I'd take my ATV, and I'd ride it back to the house, and I'd say, Dad, did you call me? And he'd be like, no, get back to work. Right? And I had this encounter over and over and over again, and I, I never knew what it was. I just thought everybody heard that. And even some of my family members say, did you hear your name called out there in the woods, out in the fields? And, I, and I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, yeah, we hear it too, but we don't really talk about it. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's different. And because there's prophetic legacies. The book of Amos talks about that. Amos says, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but the word of the Lord came to me. Okay? Now, there's people just like music can run in families, just like art can run in families, just like being attorneys or different things can run in families. Different traits can go through physical DNA the same is true with spiritual gifting. Have you ever seen a family of, of teachers? They all just teach. They do the same career and they're good at it. Have you ever seen a family that loves to serve or cook for everyone and they do it together to help you? It's because it runs in their DNA. The same is true sometimes with the prophetic. You'll see a family of prophetic people. Everybody with me so far? That's right. Amos 7.14. Thank you. You guys are awesome at the scripture thing. Thank you, Jesus, making me look smart tonight. <laughs> so, so you recognize some of that stuff. Now, what we begin to realize, though, is that I would hear my name called as a young boy and all these things, but I, I had to...
begin to balance it with the Word of God as I got older because I realized having a raw prophetic gift before I was born again. Okay, and a lot of people don't believe this, but it's true. There's a lot of people that are in the psychic world that they have a raw prophetic gift, and the church didn't know what to do with them, so they ended up running out to make money with it. They didn't know what else to do. Some of them are fake, just like a lot of people in the church, and every now and then you find one that's legitimately real. Okay? They're just working in the wrong spirit. Right gift, wrong driver. <laughs> they ain't alone on the inside. You know what I'm saying? And so you recognize this, is that this is how some of this stuff begins to unfold. And I began to have these encounters, and some of the encounters I had is it wasn't just the Holy Ghost talking to me when I was a kid. I began to hear one day I was out in the field, and I heard another voice call my name. It was a different voice. It was a very unfriendly voice. It called my name, and it was like, Joe. Like, you know, it just wasn't fun to listen to. I was like, well, that was not like the other voice. And I began to hear it, and it got closer every time it shouted my name. Closer. Closer in this field until finally my dog, which this dog was a warrior dog. Like I, I got attacked by a bull once when I was a kid, a full-grown bull. It came rushing me, and I was pinned, and it was, this bull was going to maul me. It was going to kill me. And it was coming at me, and my dog jumped the fence and attacked the bull in the face and started fighting with this bull. And the bull literally just kind of shook the dog off, but I was able to get out of there in time and not get killed or harmed really badly with the big horns and all that. And so anyway, so this dog wasn't afraid of anything. I'm standing in this field, and I heard this voice that was different than the one shouting my name over the treetops. And as I'm standing in this field, suddenly I heard another voice, Joe, Joe. And all of a sudden, it got quiet, and it was eerie in the field. And I'm like, just trying to figure out what was going on. And then my German shepherd looked in a direction, and all of his hair bristled on his back. And he was staring at nothing. That'll get your attention. That happened. And then this stuff began to go. And then all of a sudden, I heard it close to me like this, Joe, right here. And uh, the dog took off running. <laughs> I was like, great, you know. And so nothing happened other than I freaked out, jumped on my four-wheeler and tore out of it. Help me, Jesus! Except I didn't know Jesus at the time. And so, so these encounters begin to happen. And people that go through encounters, they don't know what to do. And especially people that have gifting. If you have gifting and you're born with gifting, you might not even know it. And you'll have weird experiences happen to you that you don't know how to quantify, you don't know how to explain, and people just think you're, you're weird. They think you're weird. But the truth is, we owe it to the body of Christ and Jesus to train some of these gifts to not go beyond what is written. Obviously, get them born again, but train them so the Holy Ghost can fill up that gift and begin to bring it with power and change lives, Right? And so these things begin to happen. And so I've, I've met with rock stars, different people around the world. And literally, I see different performers and movie stars and all that. Pastor Tafari is going to be preaching in Hollywood, which I think is so cool. Um, but you, you, you get around some of this, and you realize they actually have a gift, just like the gifts that are in the church. They just have the wrong spirit driving that gift. I was in a Celine Dion concert once. Okay? My heart went on. Okay? Yeah. Heather's looking at me like, I love you. I'm like, yeah, you certainly do. You know, she's like, new forward. 
And I'm just like, yeah, you know, and Heather was loving it, you know. And so I'm, I'm watching this concert, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost said, look at her. So I'm looking at this woman, and this is like 20 years ago, whenever Titanic came out, whenever that happened, right? I'll never forget you, Jack. Get off me. Shove him in the water, you know, right, right, right? you know. Rose, I, uh, can I get on that raft with you? No, Jack, no, it's, it's so, you, you could, I could die too, you know, right, you know, no, okay, whatever, okay, too much, nobody knows, okay, and so, and anyway, so we, so we go through this process, and then you, Celine Dion, near, forward, she's like, uh, here's where you were, Joseph, okay, and so, um, but you begin to recognize something about this, though, is that I'm in this concert, and I'm looking at Celine, and the Holy Ghost said, look at this woman. I looked at her, and then he said to me, he said, I called her to be an evangelist. I called her to evangelize and preach to stadiums. I said, really? That's why I gifted her, the Holy Spirit said to me. I gifted her to preach to people. She's a message carrier. She wants to give a message, you know? And I bless her. I still pray for her today. There's a lot of performers. I believe one day I might have the grace to meet and prophesy to them. I meet with ambassadors to nations, and sometimes we prophesy to them. And they, I had one ambassador, and I won't say the nation, uh, but he was appointed by, by President Trump. And he was, uh, we met at a, a lodge, and we, we hung out with him and his family, and they invited me in. And I have business friends that have me come in sometimes to prophesy to leaders that they know. And this ambassador's sitting there, and the Holy Ghost got on me, and his son was running for politics. He was going to run for politics. And he said, I don't really know what I believe and all that stuff. I don't know if there is a God or isn't a God. I'm kind of an agnostic. And the Holy Ghost said, Joseph, I want you to tell him everything I say to you about him. I said, son, let me say some things to you. And I told him his whole life to him and all that. And then he just, um, he went wild and started crying and all that. And then I went around the table and got to the ambassador. The ambassador started pounding his fist on the table and pointing at me and saying, how do you know these things? And he was shouting, how do you know these things? And the truth is, I said, because I believe in Jesus. And I said, a man with a word from God is never at the mercy of someone with a good idea. And he was like, oh. <laughs> and his son gave his life to Jesus. Right there. And so we do some of these things, but these gifts and callings, they're appointed and anointed for these seasons and times, and it's our job to draw these people out. It's our job to go confront these things. It's our job to bring people into the higher calling of the Lord. Now, one of the number one reasons we have issues with prophecy today or office of the prophet is because we don't understand identity, okay? Let me drive this home. We're going to minister to people tonight, okay? One of the number one reasons we don't understand prophecy or prophetic authority is because we don't understand identity. We think prophets need to be mean. We think prophets need to be all like, they're not country music. They're heavy metal. Nobody got that. Okay. And so it's, they think that's the personality of a prophet. You come in like a death metal concert. Yeah, you're going to feel this, right? You know, that's, that's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like Jesus, the best prophet. In the New Testament. Dun, dun, dun. The best prophet in the New Testament. The strongest prophetic voice. People like, it was Agabus. It was Barnabas. And Barnabas also had a mercy gift, right? And he was a prophet. And you realize all these different ones. The best prophet I see in the New Testament is a guy named John. John's next to Jesus. John is my favorite guy in the New Testament. My favorite. John, he's the one that as a teenager, there's a difference between people that call God their master 
and others call him their father. You know, Paul the Apostle called God and Jesus his master. John looked at Jesus like his father. And both of them had a revelation. Both of them. Paul's revelation was, he's going to see all the things he must suffer for my name. Master. Right? Paul had the encounter. It said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, this was not given to me by teaching of men, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. And it means a revealing of something. If I pulled these curtains back from the window, it would reveal what's outside. An apocalypse. It would pull away the veil and you'd see what's beyond the window. Right? That's an apocalypse. John and Paul both had a revelation. John's revelation came on the island of Patmos. He's on the island of Patmos because he'd just run into a guy named Domitian. Domitian's there and all this stuff, and Domitian didn't like what was happening with John. Cutting the story short, he threw him in a, a pot of boiling oil to kill old John. Now, John is in his 90s when this happened. 90s, okay? John's thrown in a, a, a vat of boiling oil, but unlike other people that have been beat up and all that stuff, I believe, depending on your revelation, okay? Now, I'm going to really bring this home for some of you. Depending on your revelation will be depending on how you experience this life. Paul got stoned, and he had to be raised back to life, in my opinion. Paul got beaten. He got his feet broken. He got everything, his flesh torn to pieces. He was beat up. Paul must have been an ugly man. Think about it. Uh, history depicts him as a short little guy, you know, and he was just like, I have to tell you the truth, you know, and, and all that. But I think he got beat up a lot, so much so that I think he was ugly. I'm sure he was really damaged, right? But Paul also said, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Like he was driven to get it done. And he did things he wasn't even called to do because he had such drive to do it, right? It's a, almost like he was making up for the years that he felt like he should have been serving God. And that's not grace. And I feel as he got older, he got more and more the revelation of the finished works, right? But Jesus was his master, at least in the beginning of his ministry. Then you see John, and John, they take him, and they're going to try to torture him and beat him and do whatever, and they throw him in boiling oil. And history says, Tertullian, I believe, teaches that John, they stuck a hook in there like a meat hook, and they went to pull it out. And as they pulled it out, old John was sitting on the hook like, Hey, guys, what's up? What's going on? Nothing was wrong with him. He was completely unharmed. And, to, and Domitian went into a rage, said, get this old man out of my sight. And they threw him on the, the, the island like an Alcatraz in the United States. They threw him on an island that was where they put all the worst criminals to go starve and die. John gets out there, and while he's on the island, he's out there with another, another guy that was his assistant, as history teaches us, and he began to literally uh, dictate the, the word of God to this man. And, this, and I think his name was Prochorus. He was out there with Prochorus. And John's on the island of Patmos. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord came to him. And John is in this moment. Now, this is really important. And here's why. Because Paul had a revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? Knocked him to the ground. And he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> you know, you're my Lord. And he began to call him master. You're my master, right? And later, I believe, he got into the grace of God so much so that he had to learn it. So Paul had a revelation of, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to do the stuff, okay? John 
was raised with Jesus. John's raised with Jesus, and all the boys were in their young to mid-20s, and John was probably 16 years old, maybe younger. And he, it says, used to put his head on the chest of Jesus. John didn't look at Jesus like, you're my teacher, you're my guru, you're my mentor. He looked at Jesus like, you're my dad. You're my dad. Paul, master. John, father. So John is on the island of Patmos. And as he's on the island of Patmos, all of a sudden, he said he was standing there. And I think the reference is on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice, the sound of many waters and all these things. And the Greek tense is that he turned to look, he listened, but it was a voice he'd not heard for like 70 plus years. But he knew that voice. It was the voice of his dad. Okay? Now these things begin to happen. And you begin to recognize this. Yeah, the seven golden lampstands, all that. He turned, and that's Jesus and the symbolisms of all that. And it's talking about the churches, all this, okay? But he began to see this. And what happened? John is the only disciple, and you see this in uh, the end of the Gospels, where Peter's saying, uh, Jesus says to Peter, um, yeah, when you're older, they're going to lead you away like this, they're going to bind you, and you're going to go where you don't want to go. And then Peter's first response to that, you remember the scripture? Peter's first response is, Lord, what about this one? You know your favorite? What about this one? And then John, in the Gospel of John, even says, he did not say that I would not die. He just said, what is it to you if I do not die? Yet John's 90-something years old, and he did not die, okay? And the truth is, I don't believe it's because that was God's choice for John. I believe it was John's perception of Jesus. Peter had a perception of Jesus. I failed him. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. And I believe those things cost you in the long run. John the Baptist had a view of Jesus. And I believe he was immature in some ways. And he felt like, you know, I, you're, I know you're the one that's called, but I still got to go and rebuke this king. And God never told him to. Cost him his head. I believe that, that Paul went and did things. He went and ministered to the Jews, and Jesus told him, go minister to the Gentiles. But he went to the Jews anyway. Now, let me bring this all the way back to an understanding. Where I want to bring this is this. John truly was called as a prophet of God. He was a disciple, an apostle, but he stepped into the office of, pro of the prophet and he wrote the most prophetic book in history, the book of Revelation. And consequently, John, he didn't die on Patmos. He literally was taken off Patmos because Domitian, the king that threw him there, that hated John, trying to destroy the church, his own children jumped him and killed him. They killed him. And then John was released, and he went back to Ephesus, and he was able to literally live out the rest of his days in a home overlooking the church in the city of Ephesus until he was late 90s, maybe into his hundreds, okay? And he finished the book of Revelation there and wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after he wrote Revelation. Beloved, I wish above all things you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. He might as well have said, man, God loves you so much. He saw God as his father. He saw Jesus as his father. And why am I driving this point home? Because he was the most powerful New Testament prophet, aside from Jesus, that we have a picture of. 
He's the one that wrote the future. I remember being in my Greek classes with my um, professors, you know, and I was trained by one of the top five Greek scholars in the world, okay? And this Greek professor is breaking it down, and they said, you know, when you read the Gospel of John, and then you read the Epistles of John, it's vastly different from when you read the book of Revelation. They said, normally he's a very skilled writer in Greek, but you get to Revelation, and it's just all over the place. You don't know what's happening. And I remember saying in class, Pastor Tafara, I said, you know, um, actually that confirms to me that Revelation is true. And she said, how? How is that true? My professor said, how is that true? I said, well, because. Think about it. Here's a guy that's standing there on an island working with Prochorus. He's doing these things, and all of a sudden, he's opened up, and an angel says, greetings, right? And then the angel says, "Um, I'm going to show you some things, John. This is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, he starts to see the future. He sees helicopters. He sees nuclear blasts. He starts to see islands being shaken into the sea. There's such judgment and giant comets hitting the earth, meteors destroying one-third of all the life on the planet, and people are so full of fear, they gnaw their tongues, or they cry out, let the mountains fall on us to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And people are dying on mass scale. And he's seeing things he doesn't even understand. And the angel says, the things which you see, now write down. Can you imagine him? There's, there's a time that even John, he's, <laughs> he's writing the Word of God, and he literally, he literally, he literally starts to you know, do that, and there's a point he fell down like he was dead, and they said, get up, John. He's, you know, like a corpse. Write again, you know, and you begin to understand. The Greek was a little messy. I'd like you to try to write something down in the middle of a battle or a war zone when bombs, and just go ahead, write a novel. Yeah, amen. Yeah. So you begin to understand some of these things. But my point in saying this is John outlived them all because of his identity and how he viewed his relationship to God and how he viewed God's love for him. It changes things, ladies and gentlemen. And real prophets need to have an understanding of that. And when we understand that, we can raise up people with clear-eyed, clear-minded accuracy that brings identity to sons and daughters, knowing how to hear Jesus better, knowing how to walk in the fulfillment of your sonship, your daughtership. And that is where healthy Christians are born. And that's when words are given, and it's a safe place to practice prophetic ministry because it's based on identity and love and not trying to outdo people or, 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 or say weird things or have little shaking moments. You know, instead, you just do the stuff. Amen? Does that make sense? We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.